Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Charlie Kerr, an actor, playwright, and musician who's all over the place at the moment. He co-stars in Chris Sherman's psychotropic thriller Lost Solace, which just landed on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Video, and he's also down at Toronto's Factory Theatre co-starring in After Wrestling, a new play he co-wrote with his friend and director Bryce Hodgson, whom you may know as Don E. from iZombie. Charlie picked Boy, Taika Waititi's wonderful 2010 dramedy about a kid in 1984 New Zealand who's given the opportunity to reconnect with the father he's never known, assuming it's worth the trouble. A lovely, vaguely autobiographical film with a great eye for kitsch culture and an abiding love of Michael Jackson, which might be the same thing now that I think about it, Boy has a marvelous melancholy tone and a deeply felt humanity, thanks to note-perfect performances from James Rolston as Boy and Waititi himself as the long-absent Alamein. If you only know Taika Waititi as that weird guy who made Thor Ragnarok last year, well, this will give you a different side. It's a chance to engage with his work in its purest form. I'm really happy we got to talk about it. This is someone else's movie. I think it is my favorite film. Period. Um, I've always kind of, when asked like what my favorite film is, like I, th- I like refer to my top three as um, Boogie Nights, mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back, and Boy. But um, but for something like this, I. <laughs> I think Boogie Nights and Empire Strikes Back have found their audience and sure. and and you know with Taika on the rise and everybody kind of going nuts over what we do in the shadows Hunt for the Wilder People and Thor and then I'll be having a conversation with somebody and they'll be like oh yeah he's the best stuff I was like oh yeah like so boy that's the masterpiece right and they're like what <laughs> so um, to me it's also kind of his his best film, I think. So, so yeah, I wanted to give it more of an audience because yeah. it's my favorite film. And as a writer, um, Bryce and I, my, my writing partner, that's um, he's our biggest influence for sure. Really? Yeah. Because he's such a. I, I mean, I'm equally delighted that Ragnarok now means that all of his movies have an average of like two hundred million dollar grosses. <laughs> Uh, which just makes me incredible. It was happy. great. Um, it was. Bryce great. and I saw it like um, opening weekend, and and we're just. I had this moment of like. I also really love Logan. I, I I think that like we're getting to a point with superhero movies where the glass ceiling is so visible that people need to people know that they need to do something uh, different mm-hmm. to even be a part of a conversation of of, of filmmaking and. And with Logan, or rather with uh, Thor Ragnarok, it just felt like what a what a superhero should be, and he was just good at at having, you know, stakes that we could get behind, and and jokes that were funny in world, and um, yeah, and just everything was just structured in a cool way, and then visually it was awesome. So I was. I've been a fan of his for a very long time, and um, yeah, I, I, 
I guess I'm just like excited and proud of him that that the success has been this gargantuan. Yeah, and boy was um, I mean I'm trying, trying to figure out how to place this. It was incredibly successful in New yes. Zealand. Like it was yes. the, the most successful film released there at that yeah. point. But outside of it, it kind of struggled. I know it opened in Toronto because I reviewed it when it did, but mm-hmm. it was one of those things that had one theater yeah. chugging along for a little while. And I've screened it a couple of times. I screened it at Harborfront a couple of years ago yeah. uh, in the summer series there. And people showed up. People were either really interested and curious or bored. Mm-hmm. And they just came down. But they all enjoyed it. It was a good crowd for yeah. it. But it's one of those movies that is incredibly easy to explain and incredibly hard to sell. Yeah, I guess was, so. anyway. Because now, yeah. now you could put the DVD out with from the director of Thor Ragnarok, which just delights me to know it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, but it, it's, it's a period piece. Mm-hmm. It's a family comedy. It's a drama. It's a coming-of-age story. Yeah, it's, it's a film about grief yeah. in a lot of really phenomenal ways. Um, it's autobiographical. Yeah. It's uh, exaggerated. It really is him in a nutshell. Like it's, yeah, it's 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 his, it's his soul, more yeah. or less, right? Like, and I think that he, he there's just so much heart poured into every every frame for me, and and like it's gonna sound like sacrilege, but to me, he does what like you know what. Wes Anderson desperately tries to do. Okay. I, I like Wes Anderson stuff as well, but that blend of happy, sad, and childlike, but yet, as an adult, you see, uh, you, you're able to read between the lines and see how tragic the whole film is. Yeah. So, with with Anderson, is it just the, sort of the design thing that, dis- that distances it a little bit? Because um, I, I find that works sometimes against his stories as well. Um... I really love his um, his stuff, and I just remember watching Boy and thinking to myself, I can't quite place the style of this, but it kind of reminds me of the playfulness of a Wes Anderson movie, but for some reason this is just striking me more. Mm. It's got the melancholy, yeah, like front and center. In, in fact, in a weird way, kind of Moonrise Kingdom after Boy makes sense. Yeah. Like, in, in retrospect, yeah. there is a sort of twinning to it, and mm-hmm. they're both nostalgic as well they're both set in the past and yeah about longing for a time they're can't they, that the 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 author of the film can't recapture yeah so when did you first see it were you lucky enough to see it in the theater um i saw it on video on demand i think in like it came out 2012 10 i thought but um might've, that might have been when it played tiff so it might have been a couple of years before it showed up on those platforms yeah i saw it on video on demand and bryce my co-writer and i were hanging out and he uh i think we just stumbled upon it and he dated a girl from new zealand for a while who swore by it and um because i think he and i both loved eagle vs shark and and some um and the Flight of the Concord stuff, and just kind of think that Kiwis are the funniest people on the planet. <laughs> so we were up for it, and then um, and then we were just blown away by how good it was. Yeah, it came at a point, I remember being really surprised by it. I wasn't a fan of Eagle vs. Shark. I just thought it was a little too flat. 
And I and, remember watching Eagle vs. Shark, and I, I, I think I was like the ninth grade, and I watched it with a girl I had a big crush on. So it... Um, I remember really liking it, but not um, uh, retaining too much of okay. it because the entire film was, you know, more or less about my crush. <laughs> yeah, I can see. That. I was pretty distracted, but I've watched it um, since and and realized all the like, you know, incredible risks and and beauty and heart in that film as well because mm. that film is like on the money about grief it's it's about um it's about taika's character dying and how that's affected his friend right whereas my first experience of it was i just found jimmy clement's character so incredibly <laughs> off-putting just yeah. so gratingly arrogant and yes you're absolutely right he has his reasons mm-hmm. but i was in the theater just going I don't like him. Yeah. I don't like this. Yeah, I'm yeah. not enjoying this. And then, so when Boy came along, I was sort of braced to not like it. Oh, and yeah. It just, it just nailed it so fast. Yeah. Um, the the affectations, the Michael Jackson stuff, like all of it. And then you get Taika Waititi being just so... I've, I've been trying to figure out how to describe his performance because it's impenetrable. Because the kid can't connect. It's perfect. But we connect. Yeah. We see his flaws. We see right. his, his reasons. And yeah. Well, and that's and that's another thing that the film does so well is is keeps boy the protagonist and the the way he sees his father as this you know swashbuckling hero, and then we see him on the phone being pretty much a pathetic alcoholic yeah yeah pathetic is definitely the word i would go for but yeah yeah back to the wes anderson thing like Mm. his use of montage is similar you know it's it's less like structured it's less like well he doesn't have the rigidity that yeah anderson imposes on his frames but the editing is similar of like the scene where he talks about his either his auntie or his grandma and he's like she has six jobs and then it goes through each one and it's like right. a small vignette of each thing like, yeah it's like Max's school clubs at the beginning of Rushmore precisely yeah yeah and um and I think that is where where like those thoughts stem from of mine of, of the the parallel between the two right I mean it makes sense yeah and they're both dealing with characters in various states of arrested development yeah yeah the way that it's about people who aren't really willing to engage it with the world in any terms other than their own flawed methods and his uh his arc is pretty uh where he ends up at the end of the film is pretty incredible yeah and and rocky and uh yeah i just i as a little brother just like rocky is is so so well written in terms of just going off on his own and and um yeah and, and kind of playing by himself and not really remembering his mom or or um or or romanticizing his his dad um in the same way that boy does there's that richness of character that understands that everybody has a life i guess yeah it's the only way i mean it's not a new observation but the idea that when characters walk off stage they have something else yeah right right right. Um, which which is often 
you know, missing. And, yeah. and Wilder People gets it right, too. Yeah, for sure. Just that sense that everybody, even the cops, yeah. have weird little runners throughout the entire uh, affair where they're dealing with something that we never even get to understand. Yeah. Just this weird tension between them over something else. And I, I love that as a storyteller. Like, I love um, having the story itself just be like a quick glimpse into a world. But, you know, as a writer and as an actor and as everybody who's who worked on the project, because of backstories and because of how rich they've made that world, you know more or less where everybody was at before the film started right. and after the film finishes. You kind of just get that quick glimpse into the world and that's, that's my favorite kind of... Um, uh, storytelling, I'd say. The, yeah. the, the slice of life kind of films where not absolutely everything is answered. Right. Yeah. And there's a sense that the whole world is involved. Yeah. That it's not just the characters that have wandered in front of a camera, that there's all this other stuff. Right, yeah. That, you know, the boy's dad has had an entire life that we don't know about and yeah. we never really understand. We just, just know it wasn't pictures. Yeah. And here he is again. Yeah, or the or the teacher who, um, yeah, just you know, he had, it's one of these kind of great um, uh, setups where you think that maybe this teacher will be a father figure for um, boy because he's he sees after boy gets detention he's vacuuming in the school and um, a, a teacher walks out and sees what he's doing and. Um, kind of says something about his potential and boy goes um what's that mean and the teacher just goes i'm off the clock yeah and walks out and you never see him again <laughs> yeah which is sort of the that perfect comic button that yeah that i assume comes naturally to him yeah because it's in all of his films just these weird little uh even his own role in ragnarok yeah hey big pile of rocks how you doing this yeah it's yeah. delightful because he will do something or he will find a moment in his narrative that really most people would cut at the script stage. Yeah. Right? Like it's just too odd or it's just too silly or it breaks the tone. But then you realize that his movies are all about that. They're all about breaking the tone. They're all yeah. about just stumbling over things when a cooler moment would be cooler. He doesn't care. Like he really wants people to be revealed as awkward and, mm-hmm. and unpleasant and uncomfortable and and sometimes yeah not seeing the bigger picture is is the whole definition like that's why things happen in this movie yeah and i think the it and to piggyback on that just sure the sadness of the film is always just kind of like wacky yeah like when um when boys getting bullied and then um his bullies show up so um, Alamein gets on the rope swing with the machete to like threaten them mm-hmm. and then it kind of swings back and forth and doesn't work out the right. way they wanted to and the shot's held for a really long time so you see him like get out and then chase them and stuff and that's what, like I watch that scene and I know it's funny but it's so pathetic <laughs> yeah and and I think that or or when um he uh he catches a uh, boy in in town wearing his jacket with the uh with the ice pop and he kind of gets really flustered and 
he hits him, grabs the jacket, yeah. and calls him a liar, and and then uh, it just he, he's so flustered by everything, and and his performance is just so on the money that he's he's really able to get the 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 sadness and and the comic beats simultaneously yeah. throughout the film. It kind of works that way for every character, and it's it's. I don't know. It's remarkable. Yeah. yeah, I think so much of it too is about the neediness of the central relationship, which is that boy wants desperately for his father to be the person he thinks he is. Yeah, and his father just wants desperately to be in control, mm-hmm. and we immediately know he's not. Mm-hmm. He's nothing about him has confidence or or posture he fronts constantly yeah. but he is really bad at it mm-hmm. and that's something again that um that Waititi does so beautifully like in in uh, what we do in the shadows where yeah. he's constantly apologizing to the camera with his eyes right yeah because he's uncomfortable and sheepish and yeah and we talked about that when he came through um toronto a couple of times actually we yeah about it. and it's just it's so interesting to he just basically keeps falling back on well i thought it was funny yeah we, just, we didn't we did this this was this was a version of our of of Jermaine and me and our flatmates, and this is just who we would be if we were vampires. Yeah, and we'd get on each other's nerves, and it's like you're right, you didn't think about this at all. That's why it works. He just threw himself in and followed the premise, and and in Boy, while I don't doubt for a second that he thought about it very thoroughly yeah. and crafted the performance, it does feel effortless. It just does, right? Yeah. Like it, the whole film is. Yeah, it feels incredibly effortless for how, in my opinion, how many things are just like nailed in like a very textbook way it also manages to feel effortless yeah it's a really complex emotional storyline that feels like it was tossed off in a weekend yeah and i i mean i'm glad i don't make movies because i would be very frustrated if i saw this like god damn it yeah how do you do that so so masterfully yeah and he doesn't really seem to sweat it I mean, his his collaborative nature the stories that came out of the thor set yeah he was just you know he's running around in, in pajamas with dots on them mm-hmm. because he's playing a cg character yeah. still directing things and taking a moment and running lines and he seems really um non-plussed for how much of um a genius that i i think he is um but it's hard for me to believe that it's that that any of it is uh, effortless. Yeah, well, there's a there was a great New York Times interview with him when Ragnarok came out, and he basically just said that he was supposed to be intimidated by making a Marvel movie because right. it's massive. Yeah, and then he very quickly realized that there are people for that. Mm-hmm. Like there are structures in place, and he gets to go play with his friends and yeah. bring the camera around and just you know goof on on jokes with Chris Hemsworth and and Mark Ruffalo until they right. have a scene. Yeah, and I think I think that you can feel it in Boy as well. Yeah. That as serious as some of it is, as grim as some of the story points are. There is a playfulness and a sense of of fun in the movie, in the like in the very aesthetic of it that lets you in on it and tells you it's going to be okay. His performance and the character is, you know, it's it's extremely good at you know showing him as this hero that he is to to boy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and, and simultaneously none of the other characters who, who think he's, you know, a pathetic, washed-up alcoholic. But also you have tons of moments as a viewer that you're kind of like, oh, but he, he's, like, really funny and I'd like to hang out with that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to have a, you know, have a drink with him. And 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 that's the other funny thing is how, when his self-awareness pops in, um like the way he apologizes um you know um would you be okay with having a dad kind of like the incredible hulk um you know it's just i don't know i'm just blown away by um how well they execute kind of us being put in boys shoes and also kind of seeing um the good in him and the uh and the charm in him it's it's not unlike um denzel washington and fences oh that's an interesting um choice yeah where you're kind of like you know he's a really awful guy in a lot of ways but you're kind of like but like he's such a good storyteller and i'd love to have a drink with him and and you know it was a different time and we understand him yeah, that's it, right? But he's reprehensible. It's knowing where it comes from. Yeah, that makes all the difference. And I think that, I think that's the other thing about Boy being set in the eighties too mm-hmm. is that we are instantly distanced. Yeah. And to my mind, you know, if you if you go by the whole uh, period pieces are framed by the storyteller, so we're we're watching Boy's memories. Yeah. As an adult, and his father's probably dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, you know, it's been. 25 years oh that's a cool take and it's that's I think it, it, it occurred to me two or three times in just watching and thinking yeah this is a memory this is a really sad memory that he's playing as as uh, as beautifully as possible yeah right well I was I was reading about the film um, before I came here and Taika talked about how in growing up in his town it felt like the kids kind of ruled everything mm. um, because the adults were all yeah, were out gone, partying. Right, yeah. And you were, you know, raised by your auntie or your um, grandma or what have you. And I think that's really potent in it uh, to me as well is, is, is just kind of, um, yeah, how that all works. And, and, and the way the kids operate in the film, I think, is really, really believable and, and charming and funny. Yeah, we haven't really spoken yet about the, the child actors, which are at least as important, I think. And, and James Rolston, mm-hmm. or Rolston, I think it's Rolston, um, is, you know, he's a fine. He's, he shouldn't be that good. Yeah, he's outstanding. It's, it's one of those things where you have as, as much fun as the grown-up actors are going to be, and as, and as vivid as they can be, yeah. if the kid doesn't work, the whole thing collapses. Rocky as well. And that's that true. Is so damn good. Um, but yeah, no, yeah, I mean, if <laughs> it's one of those situations where the film hangs in the balance of whether or not the actor who plays little Alamein is going to be good, mm-hmm. and he's, yeah, he's, he's unreal. Probably up until he's ele- like I think in the script he's eleven. I don't know how old he is in real life, but he looks about eleven. So it's 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 pretty 
pretty outstanding. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look for his... Uh, his uh, oh my god, I didn't know this. He was in a car crash in 2016. A life-changing car crash sustaining serious injuries, including brain trauma. Jesus. That has affected his speech and other characteristics, but from which he continues to recover with the support of family and friends. Thanks, IMDb. Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, I did not know that. I knew he was in the Deadlands um, in 2014. That played Tiff as well, the um, Maori action thing. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it very briefly distributed, but it's a, a great big ridiculous action epic that he plays uh-huh. a small part in. Uh, I think it's on VOD by oh, now. Interesting. It's, it's worth looking up. Yeah. But, yeah, as, as, a, as a child actor goes, especially in New Zealand where, as far as I know, there isn't really much of a culture of... Actors, well, or, or, or like child, child actors, actors. yeah, and, and get, child actors. You get a handful particular. of movies a year if it's not yeah. Jackson Productions, and that and that's the other thing that um, that I read about um, uh, Taika was he did he was like with Boy he wanted to make a movie that was very New Zealand centric and not have it be you know hard to watch with its darkness. Right. Like he he attributes the success almost to the fact that it. Um, is wacky and funny. Yeah. Because really, I, I don't want to give the wrong impression of the film that, that, it, that it's... Um, Dark. Depressing. Yeah. Because it's not... You know, you can watch for that on the second or third viewing, but the first time, it's just so well-written and, and so kind of well-made as a comedy that, that, that it all really works as well. And then also with the musical sequences combining the traditional, um, like, Maori and New Zealand music with old Michael Jackson yeah. videos um, recreated. Yeah, that shouldn't work. It's so good. <laughs> it really shouldn't work, but it does. And then it also come kind of comes down to the way, you know, the performance of, of Little Alamein and the way he sees his dad is... Yeah, it it just works perfectly, and the one scene where they do the beat it video, and then it cuts back to real life, and they're just getting shit kicked by another gang. Yeah, there was that and and Son of Rambo around the same time out of England with these right. two films where kids escape into into culture, and they're set in the eighties, so yeah. they'd go to whatever the biggest thing was. And right. It was Rambo in I think Son of Rambo set in nineteen eighty two. Right. And here, of course, it would be Michael Jackson mm-hmm. because also he was a, a light-skinned black kid, and these the Maori kids would look right at him and see themselves. Yeah, man. And um, you also have, yeah, the the lightness of it. I, I always I always wonder. We have I've yet to be able to ask him about this, but he would have come up as a as a, a young man as an actor forming his own idea of how things should be. He would have come up right around the time that Jane Campion was the most famous person in. New Zealand, right? As in terms of film, mm-hmm. and her stuff was twisted and psychosexual drama. Yeah, and sweetie, Angel at My Table, and and um, especially the Portrait of a Lady. Right. These were aggressively weird films made by an artist uh, without a lot of humor, and I and then Peter Jackson came along and yeah. was well, he was already working into Hollywood mm-hmm. by the time Campion really peaked. Yeah. But if those are your two influences. He's kind of dead center. Yeah, he's in, a somewhere wild in between artist, the two. but very funny. And he, one of his favorites is Hal Ashby. Yeah, that makes a lot. And of once sense. you know that, you're like, oh, of course. 
like being there, Harold and Maude, like yeah, there's a lot of Harold and Maude in, in almost all of his. Films, there's too. so much being there to me in in uh, in a character like um, uh, whatever the dandy's name is in um, in what we do in the shadows. Yeah, Viago. Viago. There Viago. you go. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That yeah. really, he really is. He's sort of just amiable, bland, yeah. and and containing a vacuum, yeah. which turns out to be horror. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just you know, yeah, affable and kind of just going around and um, yeah, he's in, he's unfailingly polite. Yeah, definitely. Even um, the werewolves, he's the one who doesn't want to fight with them. And, yeah, yeah. I just his his films are so kind of uniquely the same. It sounds really odd, but there is a you kind of know right, that runs through all of them. You kind of know what the rhythm's gonna be. Yeah. Um, and then, other than that, it's it's really... Uh, and you know it's going to be uh, kind of against the grain in a lot of ways. Like, you know, certain things that wouldn't make sense in anybody else's movies make sense in his. Mm-hmm. You know, the um, the song that uh, Sam Neill's wife plays on the, um, on the keyboard for uh, In Wilder, in, in Wilder yeah. People. Or... Which just, when that comes back, it's just... <laughs> I know, dude. Yeah. All, all his films, though, man, like, you know, I guess what we do in the shadows. Yeah, the saddest thing in that is that someone can't have chips anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, yeah. The biggest no, that one's the most, like, kind of cut and dry. Yeah. But it does fun, have, but it has its stakes. Yeah, I mean, it I. It has Viago longing for his lost love, yeah, and, and that pays um, off beautifully. And, uh, and the kind of homosexual allegory of, uh, of the guy coming out to his his best Just friend as a vampire, um, you know that that's that's weighted in, in a cool way. The uh, yeah, I mean yeah, everything he does is done with intent, right? Definitely. Even, even the smallest jokes are there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, and then in something like Ragnarok, where. It just, I, I was so delighted to see it get so weird mm-hmm. to sort of transition out of conventional superhero storytelling mode yeah. to a scene where it's basically bright green and yellow and Mark Mothersbaugh's score is really just video game boops. Yeah. And you're sitting there going, someone paid $200 million for this and I'm loving it. It doesn't matter that it's so strange. It fits. I, I love that scene where um, Chris Hemsworth tells... Mark Ruffalo, like, just don't think about the Hulk. Like, don't think about getting angry. And then they go through that, like, festival of Hulk that's going on on yeah. the planet. And, yeah, it's just clever. It's just... He's just kind of the best out there for me. Yeah. I... And as an actor, I think he's, like, outstanding. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I think that the next thing they're doing is... We're Wolves, which is yes, the, the spinoff spin-off. Of, of what we do in the shadows. But there's also a pilot that uh, has just been picked up, I think, by FX or Fox. Oh, okay. The cops. Oh yeah. In that world. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, that it will be a separate project. <laughs> oh man, the cops cracked me up. Yeah, just yeah. constantly. I I can't imagine how it'll work as a series, but I'm willing to try. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's with yeah now. N- it's kind of like with some other filmmakers that I love where now I'm just at a spot where I, I tell myself that guy's got a new film well I'll be there opening day right um, it doesn't really matter what the premise is because I know 
they'll be making all the, the, the right decisions from inside that um, box, like like Paul Thomas Anderson. Or, mm. Yeah, yeah, it's Soderbergh for me. I just, yeah. I, I was doing this thing in the summer last year when Love and Lucky came out mm-hmm. and just the, uh, now had me rank all of his films. Oh, cool. And I realized going through, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't not like any of them. Yeah. Like every single one of them. Maybe... Hardwire is tough for me. Oh, I like it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's Haywire. Haywire. Sorry. Yeah. No, not at all. It's uh, it's his version of a Bond movie. So right. It's yeah. unsatisfying. Yeah. Which yeah. I kind of think is great. Yeah. Just the fact that the, the action plays out in long shots and right. it's all about physical space and, you know, he's, he's such a, a cerebral intellectualizer of whatever he's looking yeah. at. Yeah. That, um, like, Logan Lucky is... The Ocean's movies with even less plot information. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He just still makes it charming. And and there's a point in Logan Lucky where he keeps a blown take in. There's a moment where um, when they figure out which color uh, cockroach has made it into the vault. Right. He gets the call and he says something like Team Purple. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it's t- Channing Tatum in the trailer holding, holding the phone, mm-hmm. putting it down, turning to Riley Keough and saying Team Purple. And she goes, yeah! and squeals and then she laughs and yeah. I'm sure that was the end of the yeah. that's not supposed to be in the film but it's so great and it is a character moment it feels yeah. like brother and sister for sure he'll do that and like I think Waititi can do that too like yeah. he can get away with it what what Neil does in, in Wilder People yeah. is you know to crack the tiniest bit yeah. because not because he's trying to be mean to the kid but because he's not good with anything right. and he's lost his wife and his world is ending Yeah, and Everything he does is at this perfect level of cranky self-protection. It's funny you should bring that up. Now, looking at the four films, mm-hmm. Ragnarok aside... Yeah, they're all about... They're all about a guy who loses somebody. Yeah, they're all about loss. They're all about loss. I mean, maybe what we do in The Shadows is about living with it more, because simply because it's about time. You but, know, you know, with, with, hundreds of years with, old. with um, but it's Svatoslav and, and his lost love mm-hmm. like and and what that's amalgamated into like yeah it's there and that and the other character with you know more or less a lost youth yep and then um yeah and then Viago's lost truly the love of his life to some to like timing yeah yeah that's really interesting all of those films are just blatantly about grief maybe that's why um, I'm so uh, connected to them because I've been writing a play about grief for uh, three years. Really? Yeah, we're about to put it up in uh, Toronto um, at Factory Theater. That's why I'm here. What's it called? After Wrestling. And how um, did you spend three years on it? Uh, what made you spend three years So Bryce and I started writing in 2014 um I had just gotten um, off, or just go a tiny bit back sure. from that. Um, Bryce and I have known each other since we were 10 and 12. Okay. Um, grew up with all the same people, um, went to high school together, went to elementary school together. Uh, then he graduated and went to um, acting school in New York. And then I graduated and I went to acting school in Vancouver. But we always kind of were at least hanging out, if not collaborating on on little things. And at one point, I was 
playing CMJ in New York City with my band, and he was doing uh, Deliverance off-Broadway. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was starring in that. And so I saw him do Deliverance, and then he came and saw my band play the Bowery Electric, and then we kind of had this moment of, like, we're two kids from Vancouver. This is a little ridiculous that, like, we got to do this. This is nuts. Um, but felt kind of meant to be, and I can't remember, but we were probably crying. Um, and then we both got home to Vancouver and kind of, you know, he was back to auditioning for film and TV and so was I, and we just kind of both felt like men without a country Mm -hmm. and he came over and we tried to work on music projects together and we tried to work on maybe writing a film together or a sitcom together at one point and he had this idea for a play and he was like do you want to write this uh play with me about about two brothers and i was like yeah i mean that sounds great and uh we wrote 20 pages of basically just us trying to make each other laugh and i turned to him and i was like this is where most people give up (laughs) and he was like let's just keep going and um then it was 40 pages and we wrote the uh roles for specific people so um we had those people over to do a read through and they liked it and they said you know if you want to put this up we'll be in it and um you know it didn't have an ending at that point <laughs> and um That's a nice amount of confidence though. it was cool it was cool to know that you know at least we um, in that play were funny because that's all that I cared about honestly like it was so important to me that we were making comedy and you know we wanted to root it in in real things and 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 um, and heartbreak and, and all sorts of things that, that really matter so our characters had you know something to fight through whatever but it was really important to me that it was funny because for some reason Bryce and I, that's just a big um, uh, litmus test, I guess. It's right. just it's just kind of it is or it isn't, and and they thought we were funny. So, um, and then Bryce, being as gung ho as he was, was just like, okay, we'll we'll get this play finished, and we'll um, we'll have it on stage in like a couple months. And sure enough, he and I worked on it every day, got the draft finished, and then reached out to a local church and then put it on in a church basement for, uh, I think, a couple weeks and built our own set and um, and uh, kind of had 30 people there every night. And um, it was a big hit, and people really liked it and encouraged us to kind of keep going with it and while we were doing while we were rehearsing it Bryce and I were getting together and writing our next play which was called uh, Kill Your Parents in Viking Alberta and so I went and toured Europe while our first play Piranha Club was being um, uh, put on Okay. and so I only ever saw the dress rehearsal but I thought it was great and then I left, and then he told me kind of everything that went on after that. And we were kind of talking about um, Kill Your Parents and how, how that was, how that play was kind of shaping up. And then um, 
And then I came home and we were doing um, a lot of read-throughs for Kill Your Parents. And we had our actors in mind for that as well. Um, and, uh, and Bryce was like, um, and it wasn't quite working. There's something that wasn't working about it that we couldn't put our finger on. And, um, and we, we'd pretty much felt like it was pretty much time to give up on the play. It just didn't work. Um, or we didn't have confidence in it at least. And, um, and then he pretty much said to me, I'm, I'm going to move uh toronto with my girlfriend i was like okay i mean we'll we'll make it work then i mean you know we'll we'll write something else someday it doesn't really matter you have your life i have mine um and then he uh and then yeah and then really early on we had a great uh connection and producer um who took uh kill your parents and submitted it to storefronts, um, open submissions and they, uh, you know, and we never thought they would take it, you know, we're completely unknown at the time we were, I think 24 and 26 (laughs) and, uh, and you know, it was a city that we did not belong to. And we were sending this, you know, play into the open submissions. So our submission had a whole bunch of jokes of like, if you choose this play, which you'd be crazy to, <laughs> this is how we'd do it. Right. Sure enough, they wanted us to open their season. Uh, so they picked us and then we got to cast it and direct it and build the set and stuff. And then through that, we um, we broke a, a box office record for um for storefront theater and it, it was you know it was considered to be uh like a bit of a hit kill your parents was a bit of a hit yes. and um and then you know and then i went off and made more music and the other thing is that i forgot to mention is after bryce moved to toronto he learned that um his role in iZombie. zombie he played a character that died in the first season. Oh, that's right. And then they wrote him a twin brother. <laughs> so, as a recurring character. Right. So, then he had to make his life more about commuting from Vancouver to Toronto. Because he kind of lived in Toronto, but worked in Vancouver. God damn And I was living in Vancouver. And, um... Excuse me? I'm just saying, that would be hard. I've seen the show. He's, he's in almost every episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so he, uh, and I... You know, basically on, on any day he wasn't working on iZombie, we'd talk about, um, oh, one second, because the step that I missed is when we gave up on Kill Your Parents, Mm. like when we submitted it and gave up on it, we started writing after wrestling, right? which came a lot from the real life experience that Bryce and I both had of losing a friend to suicide, um, Specifically through uh, paranoid schizophrenia. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Um, so we both knew that that story was in him in particular and needed to be told, and um, so so then we started working on that. So on his days off from my zombie, we'd work on it, and um, and uh, and it was just kind of 
a play that was on a grander scale than our other two. Our other two were one location, and um, one of them was two acts, but Kill Your Parents was one act, one location. Piranha Club was two acts, one location, but both of them was kind of like ongoing action. Mm-hmm. It, there was no like, it's the next day now. Right, right. I think in Piranha Club there was like 15 minutes between act one and act two. Uh, like as as long as the intermission would be, um, but kill your parents is just real time forty five minutes, and after wrestling is like weeks okay. and months, and you know very much plays with time and is like six locations. It, again, in in the same style as 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 Taika, it's it's a very our play is a very dark comedy. So it's that intersection of grief and and laughter. Precisely, and, and, and I think that's. And now, yeah, seeing it out or saying it out loud, I'm I'm realizing how the parallel has worked. Yeah, nice. Well, I mean, that does cover the the closing question on the podcast, which is, you know, is there something of boy that you've borrowed or absorbed or, or you know taken into your own creative DNA? But you kind of covered it. Yeah. Um, well, just it's you know just storytelling to me like in. <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a tangent, but in acting school, basically on the th- third day or so, everybody, the faculty and the students have inclu- and the students included, have zeroed in on who are the kids who get to do comedy. Right. Because they have the timing of ba-dum boom they look the right way. Um, or they can do voices, whatever it is. It's that theater kid thing where you're just irrepressible. Yeah, right? and and I, you know, I was able to make my family laugh. Like I had, in my opinion, a good like turn of phrase. I loved comedy, um, but they didn't see me that way whatsoever because I didn't have that kind of um, timing or or what have you, whatever. They, they didn't think that comedy was meant for me, and then I, you know, uh, so I really, really, for a long time, thought, like, I am a dramatic actor, I will do the heaviest parts possible, there will be nothing light about it, there will be no brevity, that's what I do, that's what I was told I was supposed to do, boom. And then, um, and then... Uh, a trip to LA and a whole bunch of like things going wrong later I I was kind of faced with this moment of um I should probably quit acting if if the average person got the feedback that I just got they would quit forever so I looked in the mirror and I was bawling and I was sleep deprived (laughs) And I was totally fucked up. Um, uh, and um, well, as you would be, I yeah, assume. it was heavy. Um, and it shook my confidence for like a year. But what was really important about it was I, through that, zeroed in on giving up this idea that every of of who. I should be according to five people as, as an actor and as an artist. Uh, and, um, and then I was like, you know what? I like making people laugh and, and that's gonna, 
that's going to bleed into my characters, whether people think I'm funny or not. And, um, and so it's just important. And, uh, it's just important to me that, that things have humor and that stories have humor. And I guess that brings me to like what I love so much about Taika and what I can take from Taika is, is how, you know, you can have these seemingly very dark stories and, and with kind of enough wackiness and levity, it gets to be this thing that, um, kind of goes down pretty smooth. Yeah. And certainly if nothing else, he's demonstrated that being true to your own weird impulses Precisely. is the only way to do anything. And I mean, that's like I that's can't... true generationally. I mean, like Jack Nicholson got on stage after he won an Oscar and said like, you know, my manager told me that like I didn't have a future in this. And it, being strange, being against the grain, it looks really off until it's adopted by everyone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like well we recognize some part of ourselves in the completely alien somehow. Yeah. In the things that he's doing in New Zealand in the 80s that I have no connection to whatever except for Michael Jackson music which yeah there you go that's your way in yeah and then you just say oh yeah well there's a beat it sequence it's it, it just go see the movie and people like nobody told me they didn't like it yeah all the people I forced it on yeah um, he does that somehow he like he makes a comedy about vampires and it makes <laughs> yeah. sense he, yeah he tells a story about uh, you know this odd couple of an, an old man and a young kid who have literally nothing to say to each other. Yeah, and he makes it play. And yeah, and he just you know I still maybe I'll take another look at Eagle versus Shark sometime. But and then yeah, and then he takes and then he takes Hulk, Hulk, and, Hulk. and Thor and and reduces them to people with insecurities and and kind of like. Arrested Development kind of emotions and and um, yeah he gets at the humanity of everything he touches and that is so admirable in a storyteller. My thanks to Charlie Kerr, who you can see on stage at the Factory Theater in After Wrestling, which he co-wrote with director Bryce Hodgson. Previews start this Saturday, February twenty fourth, and the opening is next Thursday, March first, in Toronto. Factory Theater, look it up. You can also listen to his music as Matt and Sam's brother, starting with the first album, My Brain Hurts a Lot. I found it on eMusic. And go watch him in Lost Solace, too. I saw it at the Canadian Film Festival last year, and it stuck around in my head. You should check it out. It's available wherever you get your digital entertainments. Thanks also to Jen Gorman. She knows what she did. You can find Charlie on Twitter at Matt and Sam's Bro, all one word, no apostrophe. And you can find Boy on DVD in Canada from Mongrel Media and on Blu-ray and DVD in the U.S. from Kino Lorber. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. And if you missed Thor Ragnarok last fall, it's available on digital today and arriving on disc in the U.K. this Monday, February 26th, and in North America, March 6th. Keep an eye out for The Rockman. He's awesome. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast. S-E-M-Cast and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.